0: 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. we will be reading of the English Standard Version. I'll pull the text up on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So as we near the end of Peter's first letter, we have... Heard him move from the topic of the major topic of suffering uh, to practical church life matters that occur within the context of suffering. And the church, as we have seen since the beginning of chapter 5, which um, that the church needs faithful elders who serve as godly shepherds, The, uh, the church members need to submit to godly leadership. And as we saw last week, one of the core character traits of the whole church, members and officers alike, is humility, especially for the church that is suffering. Humility, as we said last week, is the clothes that the church is meant to wear, the clothes that are fit for service to Christ. And as we defined it last week, humility is simply the recognition of our limitations, our place in the world, our place in the sight of God. And pride, conversely, is living beyond who we are, claiming for ourselves that which does not belong to us. Pride was certainly the sin of our first parents. But the church looks to her Creator and to her Redeemer. The church makes herself low in worship and submission to God. And now Peter wants to apply humility to the life of the church beyond this uh, this particular principle, the, the basic principle of humility. And we need to hear Peter because for all of our talk about humility, I mean, who's going to say humility is a bad thing in church? We probably struggle to see how helpful humility can be. Well, Peter's going to show us in this section uh, as we consider our humble life and our humble fight. And then next week, we'll conclude it with our look at our humble hope. So first, let's take a look at our humble life in verses 6 and 7, which can be summarized uh, very easily two, with two nouns, obedience and trust. Our humble life consists of obedience and trust, which we see in verse 6. Peter commands us as the church. He gives the command, the imperative, humble yourselves. He calls upon the church to, for us to lower ourselves under the mighty hand of God. That phrase, mighty hand of God, is a very Old Testament phrase that brings up images of the Exodus, where God's mighty hand and arm are on display. Psalm 98 verse 1 speak, uh, speaks of the, of the new and marvelous things the Lord has done, specifically the salvation His hand and arm have worked for His people. And so the command to humble ourselves is not a generic command. It actually has a specific object in mind. When we're commanded to be humble, we're not commanded just to be very nice or to be very passive, to to become doormats. Uh, so it has uh, that we are to humble ourselves, Peter says, to one another by considering each other's interests in addition to our own, treating each other even uh, better than uh, we deserve, and we humble ourselves before God by submitting ourselves to His will, to His plan, to His power, trusting in time that He will exalt us that He will lift us up. and this, Now this humility exaltation pattern is the same pattern that Christ Himself underwent when He took on flesh and was obedient to the will of the Father, even to the point of death on a cross. And in turn, as Paul says in Philippians 2, the Father exalted Him and gave Him the name that is above every name. Now, now this is not to say that we save ourselves by humility in any way, but Peter has already pointed out in chapter 2 how Christ's humility is our example. And just as we are not called to rejoice in pain itself or in suffering itself, we are also not called to humble ourselves as an end to itself. Our humility before God, our entrusting ourselves to God is done in the earnest expectation that He will deliver us and exalt us in glory and make us like His Son, Jesus. Well, how do we do this? Well, Peter gives us a very practical uh, piece of advice and essentially tells us to throw our cares on God. That uh, that word, casting your cares, that that word casting, it literally means to hurl something. It's to, to hurl your cares on God. Take all those cares, all those anxieties you have, and throw them at the Lord. Are you afraid of the future? Throw it on God. Are you afraid of the present unknowns? Throw them on God. Take all your burdens that are crushing you right now and throw them on God. Why? Because God has really big shoulders. He can carry them. As Jesus said, the yoke He shares with us, the burden He gives to us is light. And when we come to Him, we find peace for our souls. But why is it that Peter says to load up God with all our cares? Because I, as far as I understand it, you're not supposed to do that. It's not polite to load up other people with your burdens, with your cares. Right? And so, uh, it, and you know, everyone else is walking around with enough rocks in their own bag. We're not supposed to throw all of ours into, into other people's. That's as that's bad uh, as bad, you know, that's, that's bad social policy. But that's the point, isn't it? It's not just that as Christians we're called to bear one another's burdens with each other. But we're also not talking about a regular, sinful, limited, imperfect person. We're talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And Peter says that God can take it. He can take not just some of our burdens, not just the burdens that are socially acceptable to share on Sunday in church, but that God not only can take all of our burdens, but he wants us to throw them onto him. Why? Because, believe it or not, God actually cares about you. He really does. Now, I'm really bad at this, by the way. I do that, um, that, like, man, macho thing, where I just kind of like try to be noble and strong, and just, and, 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 or just maybe just too ashamed to admit my faults and weaknesses, and so just keep carrying them and carrying them until they become this complete crushing burden, until I'm about to, like, collapse, and then I have, like, a weeping meltdown in prayer with the Lord, and, and then only to look up. And to see the smiling face of Jesus extending the hand once again, picking up my burdens and picking me back up with them and feeling relieved and not a little foolish. But we don't have to do that. We need to learn to cast our cares on God. He commands us to do it. He wants us to do it. And how important is it to be able to offload your cares? To be able to offload your anxieties when you are undergoing suffering? Peter is talking to a persecuted church. But in this letter, he is speaking to all Christians. Christians who are going through a wide variety of afflictions and sorrows and sufferings and anxieties and fears. And here is a core habit for, it, for proper and true endurance in the Christian faith. Learning not to soldier on and bear the load by ourselves, but how to offload our burdens onto our Savior because He commands us and because He cares for us. How often I have wanted to carry burdens for my wife, Or for my children, but because of my limitations, I can't I can walk with them, but I can't take it from them or carry it for them, right? But God can. Jesus can. Because by His Spirit, He lives in us and He cares for us. And we're told to go to Him, to take our anxieties, and to put them on Him. Here is the habit. Of a humble life. To have the humility to say, I am not strong enough to deal with all these things. So I give them to you, Lord, because you are strong enough. That is the habit of a humble life. And then we come to our humble fight in verses 8 and 9. And we begin understanding this fight by understanding the enemy that we face. We have an adversary, Peter says. Often in the Old Testament, he is literally referred to as adversary. That's his name that he is called. Like in Zechariah's vision, where Aaron, the high priest not the not the original Aaron, but this is a later Aaron uh, but the vision that the prophet had of the high priest who represented the people standing before the angel of the Lord in Zechariah three, it's standing in filthy garments. Standing before the angel of the Lord with the accuser, the adversary, to the side of him, prosecuting him for the filth that he bears. And the Lord delivering the people from the accusations of the adversary. This time, though, the adversary is described not as a lawyer, but as a lion. He is pictured here, as Matthew Henry says, as the fierce and greedy pursuer of souls. And he is hungry. So the picture given here by Peter of the devil is one of danger, stealth, and terror. This, of course, is the devil or Satan that Peter speaks of. And we in the Christian church do not believe the devil is uh, merely an idea or a a force. Uh, We believe that the devil is an actual spiritual being, that he is a fallen angel, the head of all that is opposed to God. It was uh, he who deceived Eve in the garden and tempted Adam. It was the devil who troubled Job It was the devil who tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Now on the one hand, we need to be sure that we recognize the certain victory of Christ over the devil. Absolutely true. We must see that in Christ our souls are never under threat or eternal threat from the wiles of Satan. He cannot by His schemes rob us of our inheritance or of our salvation. Yet on the other hand we we cannot go around pretending as if he doesn't exist. For while he cannot rob us of the grace of God, Peter yet feels compelled to warn the people of God about what he is trying to do. Because while he cannot take our salvation, he can cause all manner of trouble for the church. We don't need to go looking for the devil behind every tree and rock. But Paul, the apostle, said that we need to be careful not to give any opportunity for the devil to make trouble for the church. In Ephesians 4, we are repeatedly warned that the devil lays traps and snares of sin in the hopes of causing trouble for the church and the people of God. 1 John 3.8 reminds us that why we need to take this seriously he says, whoever makes a practice of sinning, that means they delight in sin. They say, this is great sin. I know God doesn't want me to do this or whatever it is, or the, you know, but, the, but this is a practice. I don't care. I'm not going to give it up. This is mine. He says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. This is now all of this is not meant to terrify us but simply to make us aware of the danger that does lie before the church. As CS Lewis said, we can give the devil too much attention or too little attention. Right? We can uh, we can uh, you know the, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was getting people to believe he doesn't exist. All right? So so Peter then calls us in this passage to a prepared resistance. In view of the enemy, we are called to be sober-minded and watchful. That is, we are meant to look out for opportunities that the devil may have to cause problems for us. Now, the thing we have to be careful here is that that means that it's probably not in the obvious places. Anyone can see the enemy, you know, the barbarians at the gates. You're not going to miss those guys. But what are the other avenues of approach that we may not be thinking about? Have we left the castle gate open on the east side? And we have to be careful even in saying that though because you don't want to start becoming paranoid or becoming heresy hunters. So what is it that we need to do? Well, Peter says that we need to have a plan for resistance. Now that word resist that he uses here means to set yourself in opposition to the devil, intentionally, to not only just the devil himself, but to his schemes, to his intentions. Now, this is important for us to understand, that we saw it in the Garden of Eden. Satan's chief strategy is never to get us to worship Satan. Again, that's the barbarian at the gate. Satan's chief strategy to distract the church is to get you and I to worship ourselves. That's what he did with Adam and Eve. It's not come do devil worship practices over here. It's, aren't you important? Don't you matter? Why do they get that? Why isn't God doing more for you? Did God really say that? God's holding out on you. Right. Those are the lies that Satan whispers in our ear, telling us that we're great or wonderful. He's ai I mean, he's really great at building up your self-esteem. You know, he's really about that building up our self-esteem. And isn't it interesting that in the midst of all this, what is the character trait that Peter's talking about? Humility. While the devil is trying to puff up our pride, Peter is saying that as the church, we need to make ourselves low. We need to humble ourselves before the hand of God, the mighty hand of God. But there's more to the plan here than, than, than even that uh, for, for the church. Because resistance comes by being firm in the faith. Given what Peter says here, he seems to have in mind the temptation... Of thinking that our suffering or our affliction is of a unique variety. And that it is unfair that God is putting us through this. For Peter tells us that we ought to know, we ought to remind ourselves and each other. That we have brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world who are experiencing the same kinds of suffering or even worse suffering. The key battle strategy of resistance here uh, is perseverance. By standing firm in the faith, humbly submitting ourselves to God, casting our anxieties upon Him without giving any room for the devil to stoke pride in our hearts. And isn't it weird that we can take suffering and pain and get prideful about it? You can't speak to me. You know, you don't you don't know. You know, it's kind of this this thing. It's like some people can be very insensitive to people who are suffering. Okay, that's granted. But at the same time, we can actually take affliction and pain and suffering and we can turn it into a pride event. And so but Peter says, no, no, no. we need to call. We need to submit ourselves, humble ourselves and know that our sufferings are not unique to us. When we are in pain, our temptations come in a variety of forms. When we are in pain, we are tempted to despair that God cares for us, to believe the lie that God has abandoned us. We are tempted to shake our fist at God because we believe He has afflicted us in ways we did not deserve. To shake our fist at God because we falsely believe that our suffering is unique to us. Again, even in our pain, pride dies a hard death. It masquerades as righteousness and justice. But in the end, we end up sounding a lot like Job, who, say, who himself said he was talking about things he did not know. Essentially, he was talking above his pay grade. And if God were to reveal Himself to us, as He did to Job in the whirlwind, Job who sat there in his pain as God gave him a cosmic tour of His power, knowledge, and ability, and sovereignty, we too would cup our hands over our mouths and lay our faces on the ground and say, I will speak no more. But then, in His kindness, Our God lifts our tear-stained faces that have been humbled in the dust so that we can see His Son who suffered and died on the cross. His Son who knows suffering, pain, and anguish to His very soul. And that is not a point that we can say enough, that we can ponder enough, that we can take in enough because there in the pain and suffering and torture and death of His own Son, God reminds us that He loves us. That even because of Christ's suffering, that even in our worst moments, in our worst suffering, that suffering is preparing us for glory. If nothing else, it is preparing us for God to be with Jesus because we see what a pittance earthly goods are, and that our true longing and true satisfaction is only for the eternal glory in the city of God. And so, Peter prepares us for this humble fight, not with a A Hollywood, you know, Rocky Balboa training montage. Get ready for the fight. Got to go punch some cold slabs of meat in the freezer for some reason. But rather with a call to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. To be vigilant. Prepared to resist the enemy when his temptations come. Because they will come. And they will come not when we're nice and ready for them. We'll come when we're in pain, when, we're, when our heads are spinning, when it feels like the world's coming down around our ears. That's when the temptations come in. Don't let your suffering become a foothold, an opportunity for the devil. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. The same mighty hand that delivered the Israelites from Egypt the same mighty hand that brought forth the Savior from the tomb, the same mighty hand that upholds you now as His beloved children. Cast all your anxieties upon Him, for He cares for you, and trust that in time, in due time, He will exalt you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the wisdom you give us or we can suffering is hard and some of us know suffering to greater degrees than others but lord you told us in peter's letter in christ's words not to be surprised when suffering comes not to despair when suffering comes but to look to the suffering Savior who has overcome death and suffering to give us the victory in Him. So Lord, we pray that we would be prepared to resist the devil when the temptations come. Not in some kind of spiritual paranoia or some spiritual uh, apathy and negligence that, that, that finds us unprepared. But prepared and ready to resist by standing firm in the faith. Not in some self-righteous, puffed up, false boldness. But a boldness that only comes through Humility that comes from confessing our weakness and our complete dependence upon the saving grace and power of God and Jesus Christ. Your Son is enough. Your Holy Spirit is enough. And Lord, we pray that You would remind us of that. And Lord, may we as Your people indeed humble ourselves under Your mighty hand, trusting that You will lift us up in due time. We know that you will, and we do entrust ourselves to you and your grace and your sustaining providence now. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.